Welcome to RAPCAST, the official podcast of Rheumatology Advanced Practice Providers, also known as RAP. I'm your host and RAP president, Amanda Mixon, and today we have a very special episode lined up for you. Joining us is a distinguished guest, Dr. John Cush, a renowned rheumatologist and executive director of Room Now. With his extensive experience and insights, Dr. Cush has been a guiding light in the field of rheumatology. Thank you so much for being with us today. Amanda, great to talk to you again. Always a pleasure to talk to our advanced practice providers. Well, we really appreciate your specific leadership, and that's really what this podcast is about today. We're going to dive into what it takes to lead in this ever-evolving field, the challenges, the triumphs, and the journeys of becoming a leader. Whether you're just starting out or a seasoned practitioner, there's something in this conversation for everyone. So please sit back and relax as we explore the fascinating world of rheumatology leadership with Dr. Cush. So let's go ahead and get started. So can you tell me about your journey in rheumatology and how it led you to take on leadership roles? Oh boy, you know, my um, my uh, aim was really low when I began. I, I, I really wanted to be a pediatrician or a family practitioner and, and then I saw some rheumatology patients and I was like, what is that? Who, why are we, who are these rheumatologists? These, they seem to possess special skills far beyond those of mortal rheumatologists uh, clinicians. And, and, and so I went into fellowship and, and I went to fellowship thinking I was going to hang a shingle back in my hometown and on Long Island. And, um, and then I ended up doing research and then I ended up getting you know, do you want to write this chapter with me? How about you write this paper with me? And you do this kind of, you, why don't you do clinical trials research? We have some studies we need a fellow to help us out with. And, you know, just by having opportunity come my way um, and being like excited about it all. And it was all so new, you know, I was, I, in early on in my fellowship, I worked in the lab. I worked, uh, you know, I did lots of clinics. I worked on uh, a lot of writing projects. I I was doing clinical trials, and before you know it, I'm getting thrown in front of a microphone or being put on in, in a meeting and on a committee, and 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 you know it's sort of like seizing the opportunity. Um, and and I think that I didn't set out to to lead, um, but um, I was put in positions where I could, and I could and. And where I could lead, I think maybe in a in a small way in my in my group amongst my peers um, and in the division where I worked, uh, then in a larger way by you know being with other people. And of course, it, it's easy for me because I'm kind of a, a you know an outspoken person. I I'm kind of certain about what I think. I don't like to live in in the grayness of all that we do, I like to turn things into black and white to make decision-making easier, smarter for me and for my patients. And so that sort of sets me up. Um, and then the rest is just um, a dizzying um, chronology of opportunity that um, I always, I, I lean into trouble. I mean, uh, when you're uncomfortable is when you can be great. You know, when you're uncomfortable is when you're going to be challenged to get outside your little um, box that you live in 
and create um, something that's better. And um, and I've learned a long time ago that that uh, that discomfort is can be exhilarating and and very re- rewarding. Absolutely. Do you recall any pivotal moments that potentially shaped your leadership style as you think back to your you know career? Um, you know, I'll, I'll credit most of my career to, um, you know, others when others would then say, well, no, it's really him that did it. But, uh, I remember specifically being a first year fellow climbing the stairs to go from the university to the Parkland clinic with my boss and mentor, Dr. Peter Lipsky. And he said, Jack, I got something for you. Um, do you uh, how do you do you want to be famous? And I said, no, I want to be rich. And he said, that's not the offer. The offer is famous. And I was like, eh, all right, what is that? What are you what are you talking about? And he was he asked me if I wanted to write a chapter with him that was going to be in Paris in this textbook of internal medicine. So I you know I was like, okay, that's that's kind of famous. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's it's the world's leading selling textbook. Um, so that was one of my early challenges, and then and then I think what's ensued from that was because of my um, affiliation and mentorship with my uh, my boss, he put me in places where I was now sitting in for him. I can't go to this meeting in um, in Paris, and uh, can you go for me? Of course, he was talking about Paris, Texas. He was going to the meetings in Paris, France. But I was going to the Paris, Texas meetings, and uh, and then I was speaking for him and UT Southwestern. So people, you know, kind of gave me the benefit of the doubt. To, well, listen, well, listen to this guy, you know, and 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 then um, you know, it wasn't before long they they wanted to talk uh, with me about what we were doing in Texas or what what I was working on and that sort of thing. So so again, you know being put in an uncomfortable position and saying yes, even when you, your body and your brain says no, you know, um, can have wonderful outcomes. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that's such a key takeaway is allowing yourself to be uncomfortable because that's when you grow. And also saying yes to opportunities that present themselves because those opportunities lead to more opportunities, etc. In your experience, what are some of the unique challenges of leading in the field of rheumatology, especially in the landscape that we deal with today? Kind of a loaded question. Um, I think the challenges are finding um, clarity in decision making, and um, and you know a lot of things we'll do. Um, I mean, here's the scenario: the patient is is 48 and has dermatomyositis, and you started them on steroids and and maybe something else. So maybe something else was IVIG, or maybe it was methotrexate, or whatever. But it's you know, 16 weeks in, you can't get the patient off steroids, and there's still signs of activity. What's your next choice? You know, what are you going to do? Um, and often you'll do the cha-cha-cha that you're used to because if you encountered this before, you know, then my next drug is going to be whatever. Mine would be leflinamide, for instance. But 
or then maybe you go and ask, you know, a partner or a supervisor or, or someone you meet in a meeting, or you go and do a literature search. And, and so there's a lot of these gray areas that we li live in that there may not be answers that are, you know, grade eight evidence, double blind, randomized, placebo controlled trials, but instead might be personal experience um, or the results of a meta-analysis done in France suggests that your next choice should be whatever. So I think that the clarity on decision-making is, um, I think where I struggle, I think we all struggle, and where leadership is needed. And, and what is leadership? I think leadership is where you can um, be clear and inspire people and influence people to do the right or better thing. And again, that happens locally with the people you work next to, you know, um, locally in your city during, you know, the monthly rounds when the NPs and PAs get together for pizza and beer and have their case conference or nationally at a meeting. Um, that's where people need to step up. I want, I, I want my peers to step up. I want, you want your peers to step up. And you, but they don't have to step up in a way that you that you're going to be on the podium, per se. They need to step up in a way that and that cuts through the gray and gets to the black and white um, on the thing. Because this is all about our performance and how we do our jobs, and 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 ultimately it translates to better patient care. I found that you know um, the nurse practitioners I've worked with are. Um, they get a buzz when they get it right, you know? And in early on when you start, that's a great buzz. They get a second buzz, even bigger buzz, when they know what to do before they're ever told what to do. Meaning that they've been here, they've done this, they've done their homework, they know what they're doing. And so the, they get a buzz from the confidence of being able to handle complex situations. My nurse practitioners don't take care of OA and, and you know, tendonitis and, and fibromyalgia. No, they're going in the room where someone's got GPA or, you know, Bichette's uh, or, you know, problematic Sjogren's or whatever. I, I expect them to perform as any one of my colleagues will perform in clinic. And again, those are challenges that they need to lead themselves into, into proficiency. Absolutely. You know, I, I think it's, there, there's so much to that. I, you know, I think that being a, an APP, you know, we practice in all different types of roles. I believe we can all practice at the top of our scope. We need the proper mentorship, education, and confidence. And really, that comes down to working with really amazing physicians. And you obviously are an advocate for APPs. You've worked with APPs for a long time. My next question is really now gearing towards advanced practice providers. You are a leader for everyone, whether you are an MD or a PA or a nurse, everyone knows you because of what you've accomplished. What advice would you give to an advanced practice provider who aspires to be a leader in rheumatology? Um, you know, there are... Um, blabbermouths like me who's you know raising their hand first on anything um and i know i'm doing a good job when i'm in a meeting 
or a group. And whether I was the first to speak or the seventh to speak, everybody's referencing my point of view because I threw into the room the idea, the thought, the hand grenade that people now have to, you know, negotiate getting to a better answer. Uh, I bring that up because there's people like me who want to raise their hand and run. Uh, and there are others who don't. I want to sit in the first row. You may want to sit in the last row or the sixth row. You know, um, so there's, we all are different types here. But yet we all have the same goal when it comes to um, being more proficient, being clearer in what we do. I think you have to decide how you can um, be, I mean, it's the U.S. Army model, be all that you can be, which is really to say that you're not as good as you think you are. You know, if you think you're great uh, and you can't improve, well, then you're not very great because you made that decision up a long time ago and you're skating by and you're probably doing okay, you know? You haven't killed anybody yet, you know? And uh, and no one's questioning you about your use of steroids or, or how much you're using... Um, jack inhibitors compared to your your peers but i mean the point is that um i need to get better at everything i do i i want to when i hear the topics on something that i'm like okay i want to hear what eric ruderman has to say about non-radiographic axial spa because i don't think i really have a strong understanding of what that is and where it's going and how it's different than uh, radiographic axial spa, for instance. So you you know, so you go and you learn, right? But I think more importantly, uh, I think the future of leadership um, um, for those that want to lead, you you have to develop leadership skills. For those that want to be uh, excellent at their clinical skills, you still have to lead. You have to lead yourself into what's your pattern of learning. What's your commitment to excellence? What, how are you going to benefit your patients and your coworkers? And I think the answer for the person who's not a front row, hand raising, big mouth like myself, is someone who figures out that the best thing they can do is get involved in teaming. You know, getting together with you know the three PAs that you work with. Or, you know, your one um, supervising physician and, you know, the other APPs and doing a case conference once once a week over lunch, once a month, and getting, you know, all of us are smarter than just one of us. Um, and that includes your peers. You're not really needing your your rheumatologist supervisor to give you the final answer. He might be an um, the, the judge and jury on, on what the literature says or what a study showed, hopefully that they they have that, that knowledge base. Um, but I think teaming is an incredibly efficient way, one, to strengthen your confidence, to get clarity, to expand your knowledge base and to know how to, you know, diagnosing OA, RA, fibromyalgia, Bichette's gout, pseudogout. You know, these things ain't hard, right? I could teach a resident in one month how to, how to make all the, you know, top 10 diagnoses of rheumatology. Um, but um, now you get into the side story to Bichette's, 
what happens when you know the Bichette's patient is having not just oral and and genital ulcers, but now they're having intestinal ulceration and complications thereof, or you know venous thromboembolic events that can complicate. So knowing how to you know manage the not just the RA patient but the difficult RA patient. So this is where again. Um, your leadership is needed to navigate these waters to be to make us all more proficient in what we do, and that's incredibly rewarding. At the end of the day, how how would you suggest that an APP that perhaps wants to start becoming a leader? And I know that that to your point, I think that you said that can be a lot of different ways. You don't have to be the person on the podium to become a leader. We are all leaders in our clinics, but what do you think? You know how would how would somebody prepare themselves? Just thinking about, hey, I want to start maybe being a leader in some way. What's the first thing that they should be doing? Um, be a leader of three. So, get two of your peers together and have a lunch every two weeks, and um, be a leader of three. And by the way, that leadership starts with. You making sure the other two show up every two weeks, which sounds like a really great idea that everyone agrees to. Uh, within within three meetings, everyone's got an excuse. You know, you know what really irritates me to no end, it really shouldn't, is when I take great opportunities, and I know these are great opportunities. I could spot them, and I offer them to a younger rheumatologist or colleagues or a PA, and they tell me. Oh, I oh, that's thank you, but I'm too busy. And then, uh, and 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 being too busy, I understand too busy. I mean, actually, I would say, I would say, uh, you guys are probably the busiest people in the world because most of you are managing families and kids and an idiot husband and uh, and then trying to do a job and and then being asked to leave. So. I, I don't have that, and so it's wrong of me to be irritated by the I'm too busy answer. But I'm too busy answer means that this is not a priority for me. And that's okay. But when are you going to, you know, put all your chips in and double down on on your on your discomfort? So I would say be a leader of three. Be the leader that makes sure the other two show up. and when and and when uh, and when, you know, Michael doesn't show up, um, but half the time you can tell Michael, Michael, you're out. Okay. We're replacing you with Amanda from, uh, from Baylor, you know, uh, or wherever. Right. And, um, and that's leadership. And then, you know, and then make it what you all you Secondly, I think leaning into the hard stuff. Um, next time you're confronted with, oh, I can't do that. I just, you know, where am I going to find the time and, you know, and whatever. And the answer is, do you really want to do it? Is this an opportunity to be all you can be? And then you're going to have to make sacrifices. And the sacrifice is that I'm too busy. The sacrifice is I'm going to, I got to do my inventory here and create space for this stuff, which is for better for me professionally. And if you're in, if something improves you professionally, you know, beyond going to the ACR meeting or beyond going to your state society meeting, but um, isn't that, Making you all that you want to be. I mean, don't you want to be? Didn't you get it? I mean, if you got into this to be, you know, for a job and a, and a salary and security 
and something that's, you know, within 10 minutes of home, you know, don't be listening to this podcast. You know, if you got into this because you love what you're doing and you really want to be great at what you do, then I think leadership's got to be part of your plan. And so far, everything I've suggested is doing it, you know, within a radius that's comfortable for you and with an audience that's comfortable to you. If you want to go beyond that, if you want to be a national leader, then you have to start raising your hand. You have to, one, in your local environment, do something that's sorely needed that nobody's doing, right? So maybe we should be advocating for patients doing either electronic um, surveys before they enter the room that gets incorporated into the EMR and your Luddite non-digital you know, um, boss doesn't get it, well, just go ahead and do it and show them the benefits of it. You know, um, you know, start volunteering for the committee. Start working with the Arthritis Foundation. Start working, you know, uh, 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 volunteer to be on a committee with RAP. Um, and and next thing you know, you know, people will recognize your excellence. And you know what? They're going to reward it by giving you more stuff to do. Oh, no. That's like, but again, that's if you want to be a national leader, it's like, Come on, bring it on. You can't break me. I mean, I can swim better than other people. And, and you know, wanting to be a national leader, you have to have this strong can-do desire and the strong ability to say to yourself, I, I really think there's a better way. And I think I'm the person who can help that or do that. Or hopefully, you know, and, and again, there's a, there's a right way of doing these things and a wrong way of doing these things. But, you know, um, you got to start and find out where you are. So I think, again, you're going to be a, a clinical leader in your microenvironment or, you know, um, an APP leader at a regional national level. And I think that there are steps that you can take. But a lot of it is um, starting to, you know, you know, I'm a little old, so I'm going to make the reference to an old toy called Etch-a-Sketch. You know, it was a horrible little toy that where you had knobs that you would try to draw things on this kind of crazy background. And when you wanted to start over, you you shook that thing up and you turned it over and now you had a blank slate. And I think you need to Etch-a-Sketch, you know, your current patterns and your current thinking uh, if you want to um, change and become a leader. What's your personal philosophy on leadership. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. You're holding me back. Meaning that um, I look for areas where I can create change. This is about um, leadership is really about change that is for the better. Um, there are plenty of mistakes in life and society and, and medicine and, you know, but, um, and, and when I know I have enough confidence in myself that I'm not going to shut up, I'm going to be a pain in the neck, you know, and, um, and I just need, you know, you to join me and then, you know, Michael to join me and then Leilani to join me. And next thing you know, I've got a bit of a, a, a quorum growing here on what I want to do. So my philosophy is, um, I'll do it. 
and I'll lean into it. So my main philosophy probably is I'll, I'll lean into it. You know, I I had I, I never started out, you know, wanting to be guru now or be in this digital education space. I learned early on when I was doing my research and trials and being put into positions um, of influence that I like to teach, and that was great. Um, but then I, you know, after traveling and teaching and lecturing and, you know, in all kinds of places, all kinds of people, you know, I've always thought I've got something to share. And then, but I, more importantly, I need to hear what the people in Little Rock think about what I presented. I need to hear, you know, when people come up to me and say, that was a great lecture. Um, you know, you, if you want to make yourself better, you ask them, if you were to change one thing, what would you, what would you change in that lecture? It's different than saying, um, did I do anything wrong or, or, or whatever? Just, you know, you're kind of asking them subtly, was there another preference that I should have focused on or didn't answer or, 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 you know, and I think that one, everybody wants, everybody really wants to have an opinion, you know, um, wants to have their say. Um, and well, actually one of my, my philosophy for, um, the meeting I run room now live is, is, um, the meeting is about the learner. It's not about the speakers. You know, we all go for the speakers, right? Big names, you know, um, big reputations, great speak, great, you know, educators, great researchers, you know, why should they take up the whole hour? Why? When collectively the audience has got tons more to say about everything he didn't talk about. So the idea is, you know, you, you have to, you do have to have these mantras in you to, um, to make your interactions effective. So I guess, I guess that's the last, last goal, you know, effective communication. And by the way, that's a skill. That's not, I was born with a big mouth and that doesn't make me a good speaker. In fact, that makes me a bad speaker. You know, when I first started giving one hour lectures and you know, the rule when you're doing PowerPoints or slides is one slide a minute would be like, that's a, actually, that's a little bit, it would be better if it was two slides, uh, one slide every two minutes. I would do a one hour lecture with 135 slides, you know? which meant that I was going to lean heavily into what I was good at, and now it's being a fast-talking New Yorker, which, you know, at some point you'd say, my God, will he slow down and give us a breath, you know, for a change? And now, you know, I only want to give 30-minute lectures with only 15 to 20 slides um, and hope that I'm, I'm getting the audience involved. So, again, uh, getting good at, the, at skill sets, I think, is the other last thing I'd say. I think this has been so incredible, not only for all of our listeners, but for me personally. You know, I think your message and how you teach, uh, I think, is just inspiring, truly. And, and I mean that sincerely. So speaking of Room Now, you kind of mentioned it and you are the editor of Room Now and doing such a remarkable job. I, I'll tell you, when new, you know, APP start with me, they ask me all the time or, or you know, come up to me, what what's a good resource for you? And definitely on my top is is Room Now as one of them. 
you have a, con- a, a, a conference coming up. So can you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, it's the sixth year of Room Now Live. It's always held in Dallas and run by Artie Kavanaugh and myself. Um, we've been doing education together for, my God, almost 30 years. And we've kind of distilled down what we think is our ideal conference into this. Artie is already running an ideal conference in in Maui called RWCS, which I go to every year as faculty. And it's just a great conference, great culture there, great speakers. Um, and in Room Now Live, we um, went with uh, a few things, um, shorter presentations, um, uh, a lot of polling, questioning, discussion time, such that at every two-hour block devoted to a disease like vasculitis or um, psoriatic arthritis, um, almost 40% of the time is devoted to what you say, meaning your input into the meeting. So tons of Q&A time. And we don't even get to all the Q&A when all is said and done. This is, and again, it's a, the other thing I think we want to do is we want it to be a hybrid meeting. We've been doing hybrid long before COVID happened. So we've been live streaming this meeting to, you know, you at the time of the meeting, up to 400 people are out there in the world watching us in their fuzzy slippers. And then we have, you know, 100 to 150 people in the room also participating. So again, shorter um, lectures, these a lot of time for uh, interaction and Q&A. Um, and then we we sort of trick it up a little bit by having these great step talks, which, which is our version of a TED Talk. 10, 15 minutes, inspirational or um, uh confrontational or even mini lectures on a particular topic that are meant to be different than what you get in your usual lecture. So we've got some great, really great step talks at this meeting um, on on gout, on the culture of rheumatology. I'm doing, I'm doing a eulogy of rheumatology words that we need to retire um, on ethics, on immunosenescence, on um, great lecture by uh, Lisa Christopher Stein from Hopkins on um, um, myositis testing. Um, that's going to be very cool. This is just, that's a very changing new area. Anyway, Room Now Live is coming up. It's on the 27th and 28th of, of January. It's a day and a half meeting. It's either um, you can attend live in Dallas at the Westin Hotel Um in Las Colinas, near close to the airport, or you can be there online. Uh, we'd love to have you. Um, and if you're an NPPA, you can register for free. So, um, and that'll give you access to um, all the materials after the meeting. And in addition, this year we're introducing some board question materials just for self-study after the meeting as well. And so what you would do is you go to roomnow.live, you register as an NPPA, and then use the code Friends of Kush with a capital F, capital C, and instead of the S, you do a dollar sign. I'll say it again. Friends of Kush, capital F, capital C, and a dollar sign instead of the S. All one word, no spaces. And uh, and that's going to be free. Um, don't give it to your clinician rheumatologist friends, they need to pay. Um, uh, but this is really for the MPs and PAs that we really, we do want to uh, encourage your participation. That would be 
great for us. And I think good, good for you guys as well. I totally agree. And and thank you. I think that's really helpful. Uh, I, I'm sold. I'll be there. I, I'll definitely, at the very least, attend virtually. Um, but I, that's incredible. So everyone definitely sign up. It's free. There's no reason not to. I'm excited to see what these lectures look like. I think that's going to be absolutely incredible. Yeah, what's what's what, what's a different vibe? You know, it really is a different vibe. It's a it's a nice, friendly community. It's not none of this is like you'll be the lectures are so long you find your mind wandering and you're on your cell phone scrolling and asking your sister about the you know how she makes pumpkin pie. You know, none of that. I mean, because the the way the way we block it into two hour blocks on a disease state like RA PSA spot vasculitis, lupus, et cetera, with three half-hour lectures and a half-hour panel discussion. But the three half-hour lectures are only 25 minutes, and they get five minutes of Q&A. And their 25-minute lecture has got to have a case and, a po- and polling questions in there, too. So you see that the d- design of this, um, there's not a lot of time for you to be, you know, um, phone surfing and um, and planning you know, your, your next week. So... Uh, and if we do that, I think that, you know, our, our job is to make the the instruction memorable, not so much data-driven, you know, and here's slide number 49 of a table that you can't read, and and some speaker's trying to tell you, I know this is a busy slide, but I want you to just focus on this. I mean, they, you're already lost when you're doing that, right? So we try to get our, our speakers to, and they hate, but I want you to know, these world-renowned speakers hate Artie and I for asking them to take their one hour or 55 minute lecture and distill it down to 30 minutes. And then we hit them with, no, you got to knock out a few more slides because it's got to be done in 25. Um, I think it makes for better education. I totally agree. Uh, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So I think with that, you know, this, uh, that brings us to an end of another insightful episode of Rapcast. A huge thank you to Dr. Kush for joining us today sharing his perspectives on the leadership in rheumatology. I know I took a lot away from it. So thank you. Let me let me end by saying, because this may be heard by my audience as well, if you're a, a nurse practitioner, physician assistant, and you don't belong to RAP, you're making a gigantic mistake. This is a group that's working really hard to benefit you and your practice and your career. And I think that what's going on in RAP in, in, in the last two or three years has been incredible. And and like this podcast is one example of another way, yet another way that you can learn. So please, uh, I can't uh, endorse enough that you, beca- you become a part of RAP. Thank you very much. That means a lot to me. There's a lot of us that are working really hard on RAP and, and trying to be kind of the home for rheumatology APPs. I really look forward to collaborating more with you. I think we can do some really amazing things together as we look at the future of rheumatology. I hope this conversation inspired all of our listeners, whether you're leading in your practice, in research, or in everyday interactions with your patients and colleagues. Please don't forget to subscribe to RAPcast on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. We love hearing from you, so please leave us a review, send us questions, and suggestions for future topics. I know we have a lot of really exciting things coming in 2024. You can stay connected on social media, so on Twitter, we're RoomAPP. Uh, We are also on Instagram at RoomAPP, and you can network with us on LinkedIn as well under Rheumatology Advanced Practice Providers. 
Again, I'm Amanda Mixon. It's been a pleasure to be your host. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep making a difference in the world of rheumatology.